Hello, and welcome to the recap by Dive Collective. Over the next few minutes, we're going to hit the highlights of the last week's reading from our reading plan. Annika and I are excited to invite you along as we read through the Bible together. You can find our reading plan at divecollective.org. It's a free download when you sign up for our newsletter. We know that some of you love the accountability of a checklist, while others thrive from the freedom to join in whenever your schedule allows. The recap is intended to meet all of those needs. So whatever category you fit into, just know we're excited to have you here with us today. Welcome back to the recap. (laughs) (laughs) We are starting in Genesis 9. There's so much. So this is starting in 9. We're talking about um, God bless Noah and his sons. This is after they come out of the ark. Mm -hmm. Oh my goodness. You can't read this first part without being like, hello, Genesis 1. It says, God blessed Noah and his sons and said to them, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. Mm-hmm. It's the same exact command in Genesis 1. The fear of you. This is new, though. This is where it gets new. I think people were talking last week in the Genesis study about, could we talk to the animals? Like, what was our relationship like with the animals and the beasts? And this is interesting because you see the change happens here. The fear of you and the dread of you shall be upon every beast of the earth and upon every bird of the heavens, upon everything that creeps on the ground and all the fish of the sea into your hand. They are delivered. Every moving thing that lives shall be food for you. And as I give you the green plants, I give you everything, but you shall not eat flesh with its life, but it, that is its blood. And for your lifeblood, I will require a reckoning from every beast. I will require it. And from man, from the fellow man, I will require a reckoning for the life of man. So anyway, it goes into talking about, I mean, this is specifically talking about man is made in God's image. It's sacred Mm -hmm. and there will be consequences if you take the life of a man. Mm -hmm. Anyway, then again, it says, and you be fruitful and multiply, increase greatly on the earth and multiply in it. So there's that command kind of twice back to back. Mm -hmm. Then he establishes a covenant the part that stuck out to me in that first section was the part where he talks about where he's talking about how we're made in God's image. Mm. I was just thinking about how, even though the world is now completely broken, like so broken that he just destroyed the whole thing and is starting over. There's still this glimpse of what he originally attended in his creation. Yes. Like so not good. even a glimpse, like it's still there. Yes. I'm, I'm starting that. over, but you are in my image and I'm, I care so much that I'm going to, I'm going to avenge you. Mm-hmm. God's like, this is, I'm not messing around here. And so just that reminder, like kind of like what you were saying, that beginning of chapter nine is a reflection of creation, but so is that section, like a reflection of when God created man, like I'm going to make you in my image and God's yes. reminding Noah that you are in my image. I'm giving you the animals to eat now because this is the first time they've yes. had the animals to eat. Mm-hmm. but you are in my image. It's a recreation. It's a, yeah. I mean, it's another, he basically, he destroys the earth and he's recreating it again. He's starting it fresh and new, how he uses refracted light. He, he is light and he chooses who he is as a marking for us of the promise. We don't think of light as being anything. You know what I mean? It's not a thing at all. It just allows us to see all the other things, mm-hmm. but a bow is like, no, light is a thing. It's a thing. Mm-hmm. And I'm going to show you, like, here's a reminder that I am very real. I don't just shed light on the things. I am the thing, you know? Right. Just related to the rainbow. Do you remember that Christmas Eve run in Gitmo when we were running down oh by my- the airstrip and there was like the full double I rainbow? I thought of that. Yes. I thought of that while I was reading. 
I should send you that picture. Do you have a picture? I have a picture. Yeah, I have a picture in my memory. I'm sure I have it. I'd have to go back on my... I think it's the only time I've ever seen a full rainbow. It's incredible. Yeah. Yeah. I actually don't want to spend a ton of time on Genesis just because we're going to be studying it so in depth in our dive study. As an overview, Noah then, um, we kind of get to see Noah's sons, then the Tower of Babel happens Mm -hmm. and a note that we'll talk about more in when we study chapter 11 is that opposite what they were doing at Babel was the opposite of what they were commanded. They were commanded to be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. And what they were doing was staying close to one another and not dispersing Mm -hmm. and filling the the whole earth says, lest we be dispersed over the face of the whole earth in chapter 11. That's Mm -hmm. why they were gathering to see what they could do. And then God says, behold, they are one people and they have all one language. And this is only the beginning of what they will do. And nothing that they propose to do will now be impossible for them. I'm going to say that more in depth. Yeah, that's I found really that so interesting. Chapter oh, 12. One of the seven. other things I thought about from that we had mentioned last week, I think I had said something about how we talked about that 120 years. Mm-hmm. And I said something about how after the flood, they're, it's but it a, takes a long, long time. Like they're still living for 400 years. So it takes yes. a long time after the flood for their. Are you talking about long, Genesis 11? 11. Yeah. When it ha- lists 26. all the, yeah, all the, yeah, it goes down that 209 years after yes. the one guy has a son, 207 years after yep. he has a son, 200 years is how long he lived after he had a son. They gradually, 29 gradually years, get younger. And then there's 119 years, which I thought mm-hmm. is an awful close to 120. Although it's 119 years after he has after he first has son. Yeah. But so we can 29. see diminishing. Yeah. And Tara, which is Abram's father, right? Yes. Mm-hmm. Um, he was 205 when he died. So that's significantly younger than Noah. what they were before. Well, mm-hmm. and yeah, and then Noah. Yeah. One of the things I thought was cool was reading the, when God blesses Abram, when he tells them to leave and part of his blessing in his blessing, he tells Abram that he's going to be a blessing so that like God says, I will bless you and you will be a blessing. And it just is a neat reminder. It was a neat reminder again, how God uses his people. And it totally ties into something else from Matthew, I think that we can talk about, but just how God as the people of God, we are called to be a blessing mm-hmm. to other people of God and outsiders. And to God. Um, and to God. Yes. Like that, all of that is wrapped up. Like mm-hmm. That's so good. This is one of those times where I really appreciate, I appreciate seeing like the big overview of scripture, why I'm confused about certain things. When Paul says in Galatians, you were children of a promise that was given 430 years before the law. There were a lot of promises given to yeah. Abraham, you know? So it was kind of like, it's good to see it and be like, okay, that's why, that's why I'm kind of like, which promise? Cause which there were promise? a lot of promises. Yeah. yeah. Right. And you can see it clearly. Um, you, you do end up finding it, the promise that he's talking mm-hmm. about. And I'm not sure even some of them are different. It's actually the same promise that he gives them more than once, Multiple times. which I kind yeah. of love that God is like, Reminding him. Yeah. No, I promise mm-hmm. this. I'm really going to yeah. do this. And then yeah. Abram was like, well, you said you were going to do this, but I still don't have a son. And so right. this blessing that you're going to give is going to be through my household and not through mm-hmm. me. And God is like, no, through your son, 
your heir, your very own son shall be your heir. And that's in chapter 15. Mm-hmm. And then in 16, he takes matters into his own hands. Okay. I, yep. I keep forgetting. We're going to study this in Genesis, so we don't really want to go in depth there. But I have so many questions. A lot more happens in that covenant. Mm-hmm. Um, and the cultural practice that was going on at the time and how you made a covenant by passing between the sacrifice together. But in this case, Abraham oh, at 15. Yes. He felt that he puts Abraham. Abraham, he puts Abraham to sleep. Mm-hmm. which I find interesting because that reminds mm-hmm. me of Adam, Adam being yep. put to sleep while God does his thing, but he does the same thing. He puts Abram to sleep and then God himself through the flame and the pot of flame, right? Mm-hmm. Something weird, something weird is happening, but God makes the covenant and he goes through himself. So Abram is not a part of that covenant. God makes the covenant with Abram and Abram has no part in it. Mm-hmm. It's just a promise that God's it's making to him. And that's yeah. not how that's supposed to work. The culture would have been right. that the two people making a covenant with it. one another would walk through together. Mm-hmm. Uh, I did not know that. That I'm that credit all goes to Pastor Josh. That's cool. But super um, important. It's like the most important part of that story. Oh, <laughs> and when you pull that string, like that's one of this is one of those, like you said the big questions that you have when you read one of the huge tensions for me in scripture is it was a covenant of works. Like they were supposed to do this and God would do this. Mm -hmm. And then Jesus comes and he's like, I'm going to do it all for you. And God set that up. He did set up. He did set. Yes, Yes. he did. You do this. I'll do this. But when I think about this part of when God makes this covenant with Abram. Yes. This is Abram or this is God. This is not, there's no, like, if you do this, then I will do this for you, Abram. God just, like you said, this is all God. God is making this promise to Abram. I'm going to make you a great nation. And I'm through you. I, I will bless you. And through you, you will be a blessing. And that's all on God. Like, which is what's so significant about what Paul is saying in Galatians. Yes. He's like, you guys are seeing yourselves as children of the covenant of, with Moses. Right. Wh- the wrong you, it's tit for tat. Yeah. And it works this way. But I'm telling you, you're actually children of the promise that came before the law that was all on God. Yeah. And that is, that's why it's all mm-hmm. by grace through faith. By grace through faith. Yeah. 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 Right before we leave Genesis, he heard his nephew Lot has been taken prisoner. Mm-hmm. He lines up his servants, all 318 of them, and they decide to go after him and plunder and get Lot back. And then they end up, that's when the Melchizedek, king of Salem, that has all those questions mm-hmm. around him, but they get Lot back. Mm-hmm. Well, then where does Lot end up? He ends up it's back Adam at Adam and Gomorrah. And I'm just yeah. like, dude, really? That whole relationship with Lot is very, I mean, I'm literally thinking to myself, oh, I have so much to learn in what I'm about to say. But I kind of love that Lot, Abraham is like, take whatever, take whatever you want. And Lot looks at all of it. And he was like, oh, that's the land that's going to be fruitful. I'm taking right. that. You know, it's super selfish, mm-hmm. super self-focused. And Abraham is like, okay, he doesn't hold it against him. He's not mad about it. He's not right. like, he's like, I've got, I mean, I have God's promise. God brought me out here. And when Abraham goes over to the desolate, more des- desert land, mm-hmm. God is like, this is all yours and I'm going to bless yeah. it. And, but just to think about like Lot and the choice that he made to selfishly take what looked like the better land for himself, not going with God's promises and then settling mm-hmm. near um, Sodom and Gomorrah. 
I just wanted to take a short break to let you know that we have a brand new community of believers on our Dive Collective Network. If you're looking for a more in-depth Bible study, we offer what we call Dive Studies. Right now, we're going through the book of Genesis in eight-week sections, and we'd love to have you join us. We have weekly meetings via Zoom. So if you're looking to go further in your studies, I highly recommend that you come and see us at divecollective.org for more information. So coming into Ezra and Nehemiah, what chapter in Ezra did we start with? We started in nine and we ended in Nehemiah five. Chapter 10 of Ezra, Mm. it's chapter 10, right? Where they get rid of all the wives and the families from the people that they've married. Mm-hmm. That was really hard to read because there's not a whole lot of compassion there. It's pure, this was wrong and we're going to fix it. But I was thinking about it, the chapter, chapter nine of Ezra and then chapter one of Nehemiah both have examples. Ezra prays in chapter nine and Nehemiah prays in chapter one. And they're mm-hmm. both like these incredibly specific prayers of repentance. They're literally talking to God and listing all of the things that the people have done wrong. Mm -hmm. That idea of repentance being agreeing with God about our sin, like that is exactly what they're doing. As practically difficult as it is to swallow and as much as I look at it and say, well, that wasn't the right thing to do in my humanity, they had completely gone against the instructions that God had given them. And there are consequences for sin. And and God had brought them back to build their temple. Like he was bringing right. them out of exile and he was giving, like he had done this work to help them create this thing. And Ezra's like, we're doing all of this and this is what's happening already. Right. Like this is the unfaithfulness on our part to a faithful right. God who has faithfully brought us out of exile. And um, he actually quotes, I kind of like the quote of the actual commandment that God gave. Therefore, do not give your daughters to their sons, neither take their daughters for your sons and never seek their peace or prosperity that you may be strong and eat the good of the land and live in it for the inheritance to your children forever. Live in it as for an inheritance to your children forever. It makes me actually think of lot, like don't seek the prosper, peace and prosperity of the land, mm-hmm. like seek the peace and prosperity of God. Lot got, right. Lot went and saw all the green pastures and he was like, that's the prosperity that I want. Mm. And Abraham's like, I want the prosperity of God. And that mm-hmm. goes with me wherever I go. What you're talking about, Kara brought it up. And I said, it reminds me of all the times that we talked last year about the unreasonableness of, about, yes. of the holiness of God. Yes. How unreasonable his holiness and his demand for our mm-hmm. holiness in response to it. Right. Well, and the fact it's unreasonable to us, but yeah. it's not unreasonable. Understanding uh, that is the foundation for understanding the magnitude of what Christ did for us. Like you have to, you have mm-hmm. to be able to grasp how unreasonable that holiness is mm-hmm. because it's not something we could ever attain and it's not something we can ever achieve. And yet it's what he demands of us. Right. And so thank God for the promise that he gave Abraham Mm-hmm. that he would achieve that holiness. Yeah. I responded to something Kara said, and that there's this passage in Romans where Paul's talking about something kind of difficult. And then he immediately follows it with how unsearchable are the ways of God, basically. Mm-hmm. And just so that like, it's perfectly timed in Romans because mm-hmm. you're like, oh, right. I really love the word unreasonable because it, 
it's not you we cannot can't reason, reason it. it. Yes. We cannot understand yes, it. We cannot and I love it, it because it I mean the word in our culture insinuates like it's beyond right. what's it what's acceptable. Right. And not acceptable is how mm-hmm. we sometimes when in fact we actually have to accept how unreasonable Unreason- <laughs> yes that we just are incapable cannot of reason reasoning it. it. Yeah. yeah. Yep. Yep. I have a feeling we'll be saying that a lot more this year. Yeah. If we could reason it, then God would not be God. Like it's just, Mm -hmm. it's part of what, it's his character. It's what makes him who he is and what makes him worthy of our worship. Yeah. Worthy of of our worship and all of the things that he's worthy of. So Nehemiah, real quick, before I, we probably should jump to Matthew because we're taking a long time. But Nehemiah, one of the things that stood out to me was that the people found out that they were coming to build the walls and they... In chapter four, it says, when they were realizing that they were being successful, they were actually successfully building this wall. They were repairing the walls of Jerusalem, was going forward, and that the breaches were beginning to be closed. They were very angry, and they all plotted together to come and fight against Jerusalem and to cause confusion in it. And I was like, that is Satan. And I feel Mm -hmm. like it's what I'm watching him do in people that I love these people that were like moving forward and their faith was established or being like really strongly established. They were like a really good, solid place. And Satan just came and he was super angry about what they were about to accomplish Mm -hmm. and what they were going to do. And then he's like, he's causing confusion, total and utter confusion. And that's totally his strategy. Okay. But the next verse Mm -hmm. Or at the end of, I can't tell in this Bible what the verses are, but it says we countered with. So, yes, so I love that they're coming and they're putting their heads together and they're fighting against Jerusalem. And Nehemiah says we countered with prayer to our God and set around the clock guard against them. I love that. Like that's the first thing they do. That it reminds me of Ezra when they when he leaves and he's like, shoot, we should have asked for guards, but now we can't. So yes. we're just gonna have to ask God. Like Nehemiah recognizes that the first thing they need to do in response to that attack mm-hmm. to counter with prayer. And it's like, even just the way it's translated in this version, like we countered with prayer. It's, it's like an attack, like you're attacking us. We're going to attack you back with prayer. Yes. Yep. Mm-hmm. My prayer life has really not been what it has been in the past. And there's several things in my life that I really need to be praying for. Mm-hmm. Like I really need God to act on. And this is one of those things it's like, why, why haven't I not prayed? That should be the first response. And you're right. Mm-hmm. That's such a great, that's such a great observation that their immediate response is to pray to our God and set a guard as protection against them day and night. Mm-hmm. And they didn't, they didn't sleep. They didn't take their clothes off. Yeah. They kept a weapon on their side. Yeah. Like they never changed their clothes. They were always on guard and ready to defend the work. Yeah. I loved reading like this first section of Nehemiah, they were just so committed. Like they Mm -hmm. recognized that God had called them to this work and it was families. Like they were, it was families that went back and were working side by side. One place he specifically mentions a a man with his daughters working and then Mm. they stationed guards and they're assigned by families and And priests um, were working and he was working. He was the governor. And he was entitled to so much that he didn't mm-hmm. take this. The example of servant right. leadership in Nehemiah has, I've never appreciated it as much as I noticed mm-hmm. it here. I remember Isaac, when he was going through Nehemiah, talking about them being the first CBs. Do you remember that? Yes, I told him that. <laughs> oh, you told him that. Oh, well, there yeah. you go. Yeah. The truth comes out. <laughs> yeah, Nehemiah, the first CBs. 
We build, we fight. In one hand and a spear in the other. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But do they party all night? That's the question. <laughs> they were partying all night. They will when they're done. Yes, that's true. <laughs> all right, Matthew. We are starting eight, in Matthew 9, nine and going through 15. Okay. Oh, gosh, there's so much. Mm. I have a lot of things written. In I there. found that it's kind of hard. It's been hard for me to read it with the same appreciation because I feel like I already know it all. You know what I mean? Oh, interesting. Not true, yeah. obviously. Like for instance, that's one of the things I really tried to do this week is kind of read it with like kind of an open heart to like mm-hmm. see more. One of the things, and, and immediately he did at the very beginning of chapter nine, one of the things that I saw is the friends and, you know, it goes totally with the, with the theme of what God, I think, is showing me per, in my personal relationships. But the friends are bringing the paralytic to Jesus because they see the thing that needs to be done. Mm-hmm. And we can be so close to people and think that we can see so clearly the work that needs to be done and be so wrong about the work that needs to be done. So if, I mean, if my original, if you go with my original interpretation of this passage, which was really focused on the paralytic and how the work that needed to be done was the forgiveness of sins and how mm-hmm. the paralytic, you know, he's, he was done when that was done, the work was mm-hmm. done, but Jesus went and healed his body because so that the rest of them would know that mm-hmm. he had the authority and mm-hmm. he actually had done that internal soul work. Which, I mean, that interpretation then informs almost every miracle that I watched Jesus yeah. do from then on out is that he's, yeah. he's doing soul work and, and it informs even other interpretations as I was even reading this week. But to then look at it in terms of the friends and think how often I think I know what God needs to do mm-hmm. in somebody's life. Yeah. We I no obviously idea. don't, yeah. you know, like I definitely do not know what the work is that actually has to be done. In chapter nine, there were a couple things that stuck out to me. Jesus, when he's talking, when he goes to Matthew's house and everyone's condemning him for eating at a tax collector's house and with all the riffraff, Jesus responds with, who needs the doctor, the healthy people or the sick? And that was like a heart check for me. Like it was really convicting because I I always gravitate towards the easy relationships. That's just mm. naturally, I feel like probably most people do, yeah. but just that reminder that the heart that Jesus had for people is the heart that he wants me to have for people. Mm. And I naturally, none of that, like I am not, that is something that for sure has to come from the spirit, but that was a good reminder for me. But then later, this was just a phrase that I love that had me like thinking in a lot of different directions, particularly when the woman who's been hemorrhaging touches his robe and she sneaks in behind him. We talked about this, I'm sure, in Matthew, but I remember talking about it a lot when we were in doing Mark. She sneaks in behind him and her faith is, she's like, I just have to touch his robe. Like, I know I'm, it's all I need to do. And I know that I'll be healed. And I'm, I'm not sure what it says, how it translates it in the ESV, but in the message, it says, Jesus turned, caught her at it. Then he reassured her, courage, daughter, you took a risk of faith and now you're well. And that phrase, risk of faith, in some ways, faith is a huge risk because we are putting all of our eggs in one basket. And I think, (laughs) I don't really want to quote him, but Ravi Zacharias said this one time that like, that's how you know that you're a child of God is when you just know like that, that it's, it doesn't make any sense to Mm -hmm. an outsider. It doesn't, it doesn't, 
it's not reasonable until you are a child of God. And then once you know, you know, like that risk of faith becomes less of a risk because that, because the spirit is growing that faith in you and you have this hope that's sure. Um, But that risk of faith is, I think at the beginning, especially, I mean, I don't know, I can't speak from experience because I, I haven't experienced as an adult taking that risk of faith in the sense of salvation. Like it's, I think it would feel like that. Like, I think it would feel like a risk to say, okay, this is where I'm going to put my faith. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know. I was just, I just have thought about that a lot this week. We want proof. We always want proof. Right. As a believer, I look at God's word and I think there's an abundance of proof. Mm. But from the outside, there isn't any proof. I guess I feel not like scientific. Not well, usually that's right. He usually uses not scientific ways right. to proof. But I think that's one of the things that I love so much about him is that like for Thomas, he gave him proof. And yes. I think for those of us who want proof, he does give proof. And it's proof that only we know we need. Like we can't, like you might ask for proof and how that manifests. Like you couldn't even guess what it's going to look like, but you're going to know it when you see it, you know? And he does it, he does it outside of scripture. He does it in, it could be in scripture. He's just so personal. He's so intimate and personal. And that hemorrhaging woman, like what I loved so much about her story in Mark is that when she thought that what she needed was to be healed of her hemorrhaging. And she did, that was the tangible outside evidence of a work that he did inside because in Mark, mm-hmm. he takes the time. He's like, she actually, he, he, yes. he has her tell him her story and she tells him the story mm-hmm. that she's lived in front of this crowd of people. Like mm-hmm. this, it's like this gross crowd of this enormous crowd of people. And he takes the time and he looks her in the eye and he has her tell him her story and he waits for her to do it. And he listens. And what was so shameful in her he gives her dignity. Like he affirms her mm-hmm. in, in the midst of all of those people. And I think that that's just like, it's so personal. Like his intimate yes. healing of her was so personal. Whereas with the blind man, like he actually holds his hand and walks him outside of the village to have this intimate personal yes. healing experience. The deaf man, he walks him mm-hmm. around and away from the crowd to have this intimate personal. I don't know. It just, I, I totally agree. I think I think the point I was trying to make. Yeah, sorry, I digress. No, 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 you're good. You, it's you're. This is good. That evidence happens after they take the risk of faith. Yes. And so, yeah. like, when you're on the outside, I think that risk of faith happens. This is like, whoa, me totally thinking out loud. It happens, like, at different points. Like, I think as people are, as they're coming closer and, and the spirit is drawing them and they're asking questions, I think those, that, that evidence happens along the way and like yes. where that risk of faith happens is like yeah, different it's a risk for different to go people. be found with the crowd. Like right. just go be with the crowd is a risk. Right. You're like, I'm going to be associated with these dirty, nasty, weird people that are following this weird guy. And so then, but then in that, then you get to see him do the works. Yes. And so then you draw in closer yeah. and then finally you're like, you're the guy that's like, no me, like I need you to go. I need this from you. And you find, yeah. Yes, yeah, it's you're right. I like that yeah. so good. That's so good. Yeah. Just that drawing and closer theme too. I 
Yeah, I really love that a, a lot. Yep, that happens tons in the gospels. Mm-hmm. Yep. I like parables because you can just dig and 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 never come to the end of all the meaning that's in them. But again, what I love so much is that at the end, they say the ones who stay, it says, then he left the crowds and went into the house. This is chapter, this is verse 36. And his disciples came to him saying, explain to us the parable of the weeds of the field. He answered, the one who sows the good seed is the son of man. And he like goes on to just, he breaks it down very Mm. specifically for them. Like it's not, he's not trying to hide it within the same chapter. Where is it? He says, oh, verse in chapter 11, he says, chapter 11, verse 25. I thank you, father of heaven and earth, that you have hidden these things from the wise and understanding and revealed them to the little children. Yes, Father, for such was your gracious will. That God, that Jesus is taking delight. It's almost like he's like, the plan is being revealed to him, even as he's like living it. He's like, mm. wow, like you have chosen to hide these things from the people who are wise and you're making it so clear to your children, to the little ones. Mm-hmm. And, um, and which then points me to, Verse 17, I hope you guys are able to follow my train of thought. Chapter 13, verse 17, it says, For truly I say to you, many prophets and righteous people long to see what you see and did not see it and to hear what you hear and did not hear it. Like he's just like taking so much delight in the fact that the prophets and the righteous people long to see mm-hmm. God in the flesh and the voice made audible. And like these people, the ones who stay in close and are like, can you explain mm-hmm. this to us? He's like, yeah. I surely mm-hmm. can. You, the yeah. closer you come, the more you get. I'm just going to give and give mm-hmm. and give. And to those who have, more will be given. Yep. Yours says the wise mm-hmm. and knowledgeable or something. Those are like, I think, based on what I'm bringing and what Eugene Peterson translates it, those are like in quotation marks, like wise. Mm-hmm. Like they're not he's, – he's yes. referring to, to like the Pharisees, the people who think that they're wise. Right. Eugene Peterson translates it sophisticates and know-it-alls. Like he's not saying the actual wise people like Solomon I've hidden. Yes. From the ones who think they know everything, you know? Yes. And have been really hiding it it from the the little ones. And and I don't know, there's just something about the pleasure that Jesus takes in that moment. There's just something that's captivating about how he's like, thank you, God, that Mm -hmm. like, you're just shining the light all over these people that mm-hmm. have been kept in the dark yeah, and hidden away and isolated and, and you're drawing them as into lesser. yourself. Yes. Yeah. Like I don't have words for it. I just, it, I found it captivating and beautiful yeah. and he's just righteous and he's just, and I feel like that's a moment yeah. of like his justice. That's like, yes, yeah. like, God, you're so good. Yeah. So I, one of the reasons I've always had a hard time with the gospels is because of parables. They've always just kind of frustrated me. Like I just want him to come out and say it. Yeah. But in chapter 13, he gives an explanation of why he speaks in parables and the messages translation of this is so good. I'm going to just read it. Okay. Starting in verse 10 of chapter 13, the disciples came up and asked, why do you tell stories? He replied, you've been given insight into God's kingdom. You know how it works. Not everybody has this gift, this insight. It hasn't been given to them. 
Whenever someone has a heart ready for this, the insights and understandings flow freely. But if there's no readiness, any trace of receptivity soon disappears. That's why I tell stories, to create readiness, to nudge people toward receptive insight. In their present state, they can not they can stare until doomsday and not see it, listen till they're blue in the face and not get it. And then he says, so there's a, there's a section in there where he quotes Isaiah, and he's mm-hmm. saying, I don't want Isaiah's forecast repeated all over again, where your eyes are open, but you don't hear, your, or your ears are open, you don't hear, you're awake, but you don't see. So he's, he's saying, I love the line, I tell stories to create readiness and to nudge people towards, it's almost like he's, like those questions the disciples are asking him. That's why he's telling the stories. He wants them to ask the questions so that they can, so that they can come closer and he can answer them and they can be drawn deeper. Mm -hmm. Um, It's exactly why he asks questions. Right. He asks questions so that they'll take a long, hard look at what is really under there. What's, what's really going on. He knows the answer. Yeah. He wants us to know the answer. He wants us to know the answers. He wants us to know him. The entire purpose Mm of Jesus coming to earth was it so that we could know him. He wants to be known. If you want to know him, pull up a chair, draw in close. He wants to be known by you. Yep. Yes. Yeah. So good. Thanks for listening to the recap. If you enjoyed this discussion and maybe you're wondering how to get more highlights out of your own scripture reading, you might be interested in joining our in-depth Bible studies where we model our version of inductive Bible study. You can find out more at divecollective.org and we will see you next week.